Welcome to the CEC Report. It's the 11th of January. I'm Robert Barwick. I'm joined today by the CEC science writer, Jeremy Beck. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC Report, Opal Tower is Australia's housing bubble collapsing under its own weight. And the far side is not the dark side. China's moon landing is great for humanity. Um, Jeremy, before we begin, I just want to uh, make a remind people what we discuss in this show. You can get um, written out in more detail in our weekly Australian Alert Service magazine. So if you want to know extra, call in on our toll-free number to get a copy of this. I also encourage viewers who don't watch on YouTube but watch on Channel 31, um, it's worth getting onto the YouTube channel and becoming a subscriber. Or if you are watching on YouTube and you're not a subscriber yet, just click on the subscription button so you can get the notifications when the shows are put up, which is always earlier than is on Channel 31. And that's a, an excellent way to stay in closer touch with what we're doing. Um, and as usual, feel free to, to uh, leave comments below. Um, because what we want to discuss now and what we always discuss on this show are the, the issues that have big implications for the Australian economy and the world economy. And what's happened in Australia over the Christmas break is quite extraordinary. So Opal Tower is Australia's housing bubble collapsing under its own weight. And Jeremy, on Christmas Eve, mm. suddenly here's this brand new tower in Sydney. Mm. Uh, and we'll, we'll show footage of the, of the tower being constructed um, in this time-lapse footage. It was brand new, just opened last year and the residents in it who shelled out a lot of money to mm. be able to live in that tower heard cracking and they had mm. to be evacuated. Well, as an engineer, uh, you know there's something drastically wrong there. Yep. Buildings don't crack like that unless there's an incredible stresses and strains. Yep. Uh, something we don't know the full cause, but we know that it's something drastically wrong. Now, we want to go through a little bit of the mm. details because it not, not because it's this, the story is not really about Opal Tower, mm. it's just on its own. The story is... Is Opal Tower just the tip of the iceberg here? Because it, it, it absolutely definitely is. There's a bigger problem, um, especially in Sydney, but probably more broadly. And I want to start, before we get into the details, I want to read a quote, which I came across over the, the Christmas break myself in a, in, a, um, in a book, where Gordon Brown, the former British Prime Minister and Chancellor of the Exchequer, who was famous for light-touch regulation of the financial system, he, I want to read what he said in 2005. And when you're listening to it, realise what he looked like a few years later when the crash happened. But this applies more broadly than just to the financial sector itself, right? Mm -hmm. So he said in his 2005 speech, he espoused his famous light touch approach to financial regulation, which he said is not just a light touch, but a limited touch, because he said, it helps move us a million miles away from the old assumption, the assumption since the first legislation of Victorian times that business, unregulated, will invariably act irresponsibly. The better view is that business wants to act responsibly. Reputation with customers and investors is more important to behaviour than regulation, and transparency, backed up by the light touch, can be more effective than the heavy hand. So he said that in 2005 before the City of London that he was overseeing blew up the world. Right. And how does that work in the real world? Exactly. How does it work in the real world? Well, let's look at the Sydney market, and, it's, and, and it probably has implications more broadly. So here you have Opal Tower. Um, 
this, this is a building that was touted as a standout development in Sydney's apartment boom. And as you can see, that's why there's this time-lapse footage that we were able to show. Um, the Opal Tower website, we'll put the website on the screen, it calls the building brilliant from every aspect. So it's obviously brilliantly flawed as well, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I can't believe they've still got the website up, actually. So they had to, what, what they discovered when they evacuated the tower, the engineers discovered widespread internal failures in a building that had been poorly designed and shoddily built. And you can see, we'll, we'll show you some, you see these pictures where there's, there's props in the building propping up the floors now, right? Mm. And, and the, the engineers are doing that because they're worried that it's not just a few cracks. There, there's, there's, there could be a major failure here. Yeah, well, they say it's precautionary, but who knows? We don't know, but uh, we wouldn't want the whole thing to collapse. So here's a building. Now, one of the things, interesting things about this building, Jeremy, it was fast-tracked by the New South Wales government. They declared it a state-significant development, right? But what you see, the, the fact that it's, this is happening to the building now, it actually exposes a real corruption in the um, real estate development Sydney, system in Sydney. And, you, you, and what you can see is that it's been corrupted by the property bubble. So here you have a bubble, which a lot of people have denied, but it's a bubble created by the banks. The banks started lending money into housing at, at the expense of all else, right? They could make more money out of housing than, than, and, and apartments, et cetera, than anything else. A lot of investors rushed in. And because all this money's going in, then there's a flurry of activity behind the money. And what that flurry of activity does, it distorts the cities in which it's happening, right? So here's... There's lots of developments in the capital cities of Melbourne and Sydney and others now that are massive residential property developments and, and high-rise apartments. That, that land could have been used for multiple, you know, there, there might have been any number of things it could have been used for. But when you have a housing bubble, all it's going to be used for is housing. Mm. And you're going to have people that are going to come in and they've got one objective, not to build good housing, right? Not to build great architecture for the future of your city. It's to make money. Mm. And they're going to make it as quickly and efficiently as possible with as, and with as many shortcuts as possible. Mm. That's what happens. You're supposed to have a system that the governments oversee of regulation, which is to make sure that the end result is safe for the public. Mm. And let's look at the, the reality of, of, the, of Sydney now. Um, it is likely that every high-rise residential apartment built in Sydney in the last 20 years is exposed to the same risks in this tower. Why do we say that? Well, you've got, a, you've got this, this flood of um, defects in materials and workmanship that have come in chasing the money, right? And on top of that, you have hopelessly inadequate certification processes and building codes. And some of what I'm reading to you, is going, it's, I'm citing, is coming out of an article that Richard Barden wrote for our alert service here. Opal Tower, the tip of the iceberg as Sydney apartments crack up. And um, uh, Richard's done some research on this. Um, another good source that I encourage people to look at is Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics who has a, web, a YouTube um, channel called Walk the World. On the 26th of December, he did a, a very important interview with um, Edwin Almeida, who's a real estate insider in Sydney, who's been blowing the whistle on this kind of, these kinds of shoddy practices for a long time. And so um, Martin interviewed Edwin a few times in 2018 and Edwin had the same theme. Look, there are problems in the, not just in the market, but in the buildings themselves, mm. right? And he was showing footage. So on 26th of December, he went on to, to, to Martin's show and said, look, I told you so. The show, so the show is called 
Sick Buildings, the latest from our property insider, Edwin Almeida, right? And it's really worth people watching to get a, to get a sense of this because what you've got to understand is the, the, how, how the potential this is quite widespread. Well, a lot right? of these buildings were designed for the commercial real estate, uh, well, the codes were, but now they're used for residential use and the codes are really not truly applicable for the, the residential use because of the, the number of people that are constantly in those buildings versus a commercial sense. Uh, so the codes, the codes need to be updated. Plus, plus the codes for Sydney, for when, mm. when, when, mm. when only high-rises were in the CBD. Mm. Well, the CBD of Sydney is on rock, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, and building on a floodplain or, or, or soil that's, that's not right down to the bedrock is going to be very structurally problematic. Yeah, and that's the, these are the questions that are, that are coming up now. Mm. Um, the, the other factor is the certification process. Who signs off on these jobs? And, 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 and with buildings like this, you've got to sign off on every stage of it. Well, 20 years ago, the New South Wales government, a Labor government, which is why I quoted Gordon Brown, a Labor um, Prime Minister from the Great Britain, a Labor government privatised the certification process. Mm. So private businesses whose job is to make money, mm. that's, the, that's why they're in business. They're not in business to certify buildings. They make money by certifying buildings, right? They, you set it up, you create a conflict of interest. If they get cosy with developers who, who are willing to give them money, well, they're going to sign off on everything, right? Um, and so the Labor Party now in opposition in New South Wales is making a stink about this, but they, but they started the right. On what planet was this sane to privatise th these things? Um, the, the people who are experts in the system there, they say these, these certifiers don't even have the skills to check everything. In fact, the tradesmen of each part of the, of the job, they self-certify, and the certifier's job is to collect their paperwork, essentially. And one of the, a, a gentleman named um, uh, Robert Hart, who's a member of a specialist committee set up by Engineers Australia, he said in the, um, to report on the state of new apartment buildings in New South Wales, he told the Financial Review on the 3rd of January that certifiers have neither the training nor the legal responsibility to oversee quality control. He said they can't possibly check everything as they don't have the skills. New South Wales has the worst regulatory regime in the country, yet it's being allowed to continue and people are really suffering as a result. It's really appalling. Will someone have to die before they'll take it seriously? Mm. Right? Well, that's where it's, that's where it's heading. Um, there's other things that the governments have done apart from the privatisation. They've watered down the laws to protect homeowners. Get this. There used to be a statutory warranty, standard statutory warranty, of all, that covered all defects in buildings for seven years. What's the government do in 2012? Change it so that the warranty that covers major defects for only two years, six years, sorry, and all, all the minor stuff for only two years. But what they call major defects, believe it or not, probably would not apply to what currently is the state of Opal Tower. That's right? incredible. That is incredible. Mm -hmm. And so, and then the other thing that Edwin pointed out is that a lot of the developers in these real estate bubbles are $2 companies. They set up for the purpose of a specific development, they do the construction, then they disband the company and take off with the money. And when problems arise in the buildings, there's nobody to sue, mm. right? And this is, the fact that you've got a whistleblower like Edwin L. might have been able to say this for a long time, and the state government of New South Wales, and who knows what it's like here in, in, in uh, Melbourne, uh, would have known this, mm -hmm. right? And they just let it happen, hoping nothing will go wrong, well, something has gone wrong. And like I said, this is a system that's been corrupted, but it's corrupted by a specific 
um, cancer in our economy, which is a speculation that the banks have in, in, instigated into housing, right, this housing bubble. Um, they created it for their own profits and then it goes and distorts the economy. So we've now got a few things to look forward to. Um, there'll be more news coming about, out about this, but today's news is that the, the banks have said they will not lend people money now to buy apartments in Opal Tower. And you think, well, that should be obvious. Mm. But, but the, the, the point is that could be a very significant announcement, especially if people in the banks, in the context of trying to be more prudent following the Royal Commission, are realising, well, Opal Tower may not be the only problem here. Right, mm -hmm. And again, the property prices in these apartments have only been held up by the banks being willing to lend money. And if that stops, then you've got big problems um, coming there. And the, the, the density of construction in apartments around the Australia might be enough, if there's a collapse there that starts accelerating, might be enough to trigger the, the property bubble um, around the rest of Australia. And that means the banks are in trouble. Now, just quickly, you know, what can you do? Well, obviously, there's more regulation. that They should not have deregulated this system in the first place, right? You can't trust, you know, don't trust big corporations. The, the kind of attitude they apply to deregulation is, oh, yeah, it's, look, it's in, the, it's in an in, a business's interest to do the, do the right thing. That applies to small businesses, sure, mm. right? If there's a butcher in, a, in one town, he's not going to want to sell rotten meat because he won't get customers. But that does not apply to big businesses. And these big developers are big businesses. You've got to regulate them and regulate them properly or else you're going to run into these problems. So we have to do that. The other thing we have to do is stop the banks instigating these kind of bubbles. And that's what our Glass-Steagall banking separation policy is about. If you can separate the banks out so that the banks with deposits, are, and then they're the bigger ones, are only able to do normal banking and not engage in speculation, right? You, you suck the money out of these speculative bubbles. And that, that, that's going to be a help. All right, let's stop there because when we come back, we want to spend the rest of this show talking about China. Welcome back to the CEC report. The far side is not the dark side. China's moon landing is great for humanity. So, Jeremy, China's space agency has just achieved the first soft landing on the far side of the moon. Mm. But if you believe the Western corporate media, this is what's currently underway in space. And that, of course, is the Death Star from Star Wars blowing up um, the planet Alderaan at Darth uh, and Darth Vader, in this case, is, you're supposed to believe is the president of China, Xi Jinping. <laughs> and I'm not joking when I say that. So we'll put some of these headlines up on the screen. So this was the, uh, the Telegraph in London. China's moon landing marks growing space threat to Britain and world, say experts. And all these military experts claim, oh, be afraid they're going to get us from here. Uh, the, the Sydney Morning Herald ran the same article on the 4th of January under the headline, Chinese moon landing is first step to military muscle in space. The Express, uh, world on, the, on the 6th of January, World War Three. US fears China to wage space warfare after historic far side of moon landing. And then I thought this one... I had to share this one. This is the, this is the cover of the latest issue of The Economist magazine. Red Moon Rising, Will China Dominate Science? And they've got a panda there, the cuddliest of all animals, caricatured as a, as a wolf, an aggressive wolf howling at the moon, right? I mean, this is, 
to me, that is demented. So mm. this week, Jeremy, you put out a different perspective in, mm. the, in the article and press release we issued, China's moon landing, another giant leap for mankind. Mm. So what's China done? Give us the details and why do you say mm. that? Well, those reactions were completely unhinged. This is something we should be celebrating. It's, it's really going to provide no ends of technological progress for humanity, the whole of humanity, every nation in the world, just the same as NASA with the Apollo program uh, achieved enormous uh, things for everyone. All nations benefited from the moon landing. Now, what they did, uh, by landing on the far side of the moon, they did something that no other nation's ever done with a soft landing. This, this uh, probe was doing 1.7 kilometres per second. Uh, Chang'e 4, Chang'e 4, 1.7 kilometres a second to decelerate going down to next to zero so it can just softly land on the moon. You can't do that unless you have a satellite orbiting the moon because radio signals will not reach the far side of the moon directly. So China had this satellite that they had to set up first. Then that satellite communicated back to bases on Earth. Now they've got two bases in China. They've got a, a base in Namibia and a base in Argentina. So that it doesn't matter where uh, in the world you are because the Earth's rotating, uh, you'll always get some direct line of sight to the satellite and then to the, uh, the Chang'e 4 oh, okay. yep. probe. Yep. Uh, an incredible advance. Now, the, the Chang'e 4 uh, probe has a rover and that can wander around, uh, analyze samples, uh, moon dust soil. Uh, it's expected is an enormous uh, variations in the mineral composition because the spot that it landed is in a massive basin, uh, two and a half thousand kilometres in diameter. Isn't one of the biggest uh, impact craters in the solar system? In the solar system. Uh, that, that's the uh, South Pole Aitken Basin, right. 13 kilometres deep. And within that, uh, it's at the Von Kármán Crater. So it's a very deep spot on the moon. So because of this enormous impact, the mineral composition is likely to be quite different. That's deeper than the Marianas Trench on Earth. Mm, that's right. That's enormous. Uh, so this is a, an amazing achievement. Who knows what's possible for, for future generations? Uh, what they've done is remarkable, uh, considering that China's been virtually isolated in, in the whole space program. Let's talk about that more when we come back after this break. Welcome back to the CEC Report, where we're discussing the far side is not the dark side. China's moon landing is great for humanity. So, Jeremy, just before the break, you said that China has done this without... They've basically been cut off cooperation from mm. the United States. Mm. But it's no fluke, right? I mean, mm. they've become, despite, despite having to do this mostly alone, they've become world leaders in space. Well, that's right. They, they have a, an economy which is based on a science driver. It's no fluke that they've raised 800 million people out of poverty since 1978. Yeah. Uh, this is enormous government-directed credit into high-technology aspects of the economy. Uh, so, you know, I've just come back from a holiday in China, and, and I saw that for myself it is incredible the amount of economic growth that they've had. Uh, you know, the, the wealth, the growing middle class, the high-speed trains that zip around everywhere, enormous developments, the Three Gorges Dam, which I got to see, incredible things that they've done, 
directing credit into high technology. And the high technology is not just in space, it's all aspects of infrastructure. They're on mm. the cutting edge of technology. Mm. They're always accused of stealing their technology. <laughs> is the technology they use for this endeavor, this space mm. endeavor stolen? Well, certainly not. I mean, it's quite laughable that China's been accused of just about everything. Uh, because they have been isolated, uh, they couldn't steal the technology even if they wanted to. Mm. Uh, according to US law, they're, they're prohibited to, to work with NASA on the International Space Agency. So they've had to go off and develop their own space station. Mm. While, uh, while even Russia's allowed on, on the Amer International Space Station, mm. China's had to go off and develop their own. Mm. Mm. And as someone else pointed out, if China... If you accuse China of stealing this technology, mm. America's technology to, to, to achieve this, mm. why hasn't America achieved this? Mm. Oh, that's right. And, and China's willing to share their technology. In fact, uh, they've got a program for this, this Chang'e 4 uh, probe, uh, another future probe, uh, Chang'e 6. They've invited, China's invited other nations to put a 10 kilogram payload in to conduct experiments. So they, they want to share this with the rest of the world. Uh, and that, that could uh, really improve relations, not just in terms of space, but general relations with other nations. And they've got, in this particular probe, they've got experiments with um, potatoes and uh, silkworms, right? Mm -hmm. So for, for the first time, there's now mm. animals mm -hmm. up on the moon. Yeah, well, that, that uh, is quite amazing what potential there is to, to grow seeds. Who knows what we can do there? Uh, there's also helium-3, which is expected to be found in, in abundance on moon. Uh, helium-3 is a, an isotope very suited for fusion power. Now, it's extremely energy dense that if we brought a spaceship of helium-3 back to Earth, you could power whole countries for years. It's with one energy, payload. Yeah, just with one payload. And it's expected in this very deep crater where they've landed, there'll be abundant sources of helium-3. So, so, so the, the world has been working towards fusion for decades mm. and made marginal progress. Mm. This type of activity that China has conducted on the moon may mm. help provide the breakthroughs we need to make fusion work on Earth. Uh, exactly right. And fusion is not very far away. Uh, you know, they always say it's, it's only just a few years away, but if we inject funds into it, it'll be much closer. And China's doing that. You know, China's leapfrogging. Now they've put more spaceships into space than the United States in the last year. They had a, a record 38 launches into space, uh, breaking their previous 2016 record where they had 22 launches into space. Well, is that an indulgence though, or is it important for their economy when they're having that level of activity? Well, certainly not an indulgence because once again, just the same with NASA, when they, they had the moon landing in the Apollo program, it pays for itself numerous times over with technologies that we benefit here on Earth. You only have to look at whether it's freeze-dried food or, or even the, uh, the duster busters, the little portable vacuum cleaners. They first used those in the moon program. Uh, numerous technological advancements in GPS, for example. A lot of farm machinery on Earth uh, uses this GPS technology that they used in, in the, the space programs uh, to, to move around to exact coordinates on farmland. Uh, and, and we use it all the time without even thinking about it. So yeah. China's doing the same thing and we all, all benefit, all nations will benefit. Well, I looked it up in 1969 when America put men on the moon, they had a, an economy of a trillion dollars of GDP and 200 million people. China had 800 million people and mm. about $90 billion of GDP. They're mm. one of the small, smallest, poorest countries in the world. Mm. 
America stopped funding its space program mm. after that. China changed the way it organised itself mm. to the point where you can see how it's one's mm. going backward, one's going forward. And you cannot t interpret that as aggressive. China is actually holding the flag for humanity in doing this, and people need to see it that way. Thank you very much, Jeremy, and thanks to the viewers for tuning in.